podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Pad up. It's the Australian Cricket Podcast. And here are your hosts. Welcome back to the Australian Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Menas, and joining me this week, our first panellist is an ace sports writer for the Australian Associated Press, and he used to bat with his collar up. Welcome back, James McSmith. Thanks, Menas. It's fantastic to be here, as always. And our other panellist offered Glenn Maxwell a place to stay if he gets kicked out of Victoria. I'm talking about Paul the Summer summer Game Dennett. Welcome back, Paul. Thanks, Menas. I've got nothing to say to that. Does your, does your wife know that uh, <laughs> Maxie might be staying in the living room for a while? <laughs> that, that could be a uh, reality TV show, couldn't it? Maxie and Paul. Yeah, why not? I'm, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> well, listeners, welcome to the show this week. We've got a, a big show, lineup this week. We're going to start off with Read and React. We've got the sledging quiz. Then Macca, Paul and I are going to go through all the latest news in Australian cricket. But let's start off with Glenn Maxwell, because last week we opened the show with Glenn Maxwell dominating in the Australian T20 side. But we're starting uh, this show with a very different reason. He's been thrust into the limelight of the news uh, because Dan Brettig of Crick Info broke a story that Glenn Maxwell asked to leave Victoria to play for New South Wales. Now, he asked outside of the appropriate time that is deemed to ask to move states. So Victoria had to give him permission, which they didn't do. And now Glenn Maxwell is stuck in Victoria, yet his whole teammates and the coach and everyone knows he wants to go. A huge story. Who wants to open up with this one? What do we think of that one? Can you go back to Victoria? Hey, fellas. Hey, how are you guys? You now I wanted to play for New South Wales. Man, as I think you'll find that eventually he'll go to New South Wales. I think this might be part of perhaps him or his manager. This is the start of that process. You're right. What team wants a player that doesn't want to play for them, whether it's cricket, footy, anything? I can't imagine he'll be there for much longer. Paul? Um, maybe, although if he has a good season, um, it's, a, it's a big move to move states. If he has a good season, and maybe the, the reasons to move will disappear. I don't think it's, it's such a big deal, given that he probably had reasons that weren't I hate living in Victoria or I hate the teammates. It was probably that, you know, he, he'd been given assurances from New South Wales that he'd be able to bat up higher in the order or maybe his spin bowling was going to be suited to the SCG. Most players in the Victorian side would probably just understand that he's a player who now is the time for him to strike and he needs to do everything he can to get back in the Australian side. If he thought going to New South Wales was the right thing to do, then so be it. And I must say, it's well within Cricket Victoria's rights to say no, but I, as an Australian, am saddened by that. I want the States to do what's best for the national interest. I don't care who wins the Sheffield Shield, and I, I think that they it's, it's regrettable that they didn't allow him to go. Well said, Paul. I agree. Victoria should have let him go. It's almost untenable for him to stay there. But there is this sort of perception that if you wear a, a baggy blue cap, it tends to get you in the Australian side faster. Do you think Maxwell's playing into that, trying to play into that theory? Or Well, firstly, that, that perception's wrong. Um, the, the fact is New South Wales has a third of the population and throughout history, lots of Victorian fast bowlers played Australian rules football and, and, and therefore were lost to the game. It makes sense that lots of cricketers come from New South Wales. If there was state bias once in the past, maybe there was, but to suggest that there's state bias now, I think is untenable. Actually, there was an episode called, in, I think it was in the 60s that we did of this podcast titled, Is There a Blue Bias, where I found that all the stats to back up 
that what you're saying, Paul, that really there isn't a blue bias. If you look at the amount of population, the amount of championships New South Wales have won, then we are appropriately represented at Australian level. But let's go back to this story. So this this is Read and React this week because Dan Bredig from Crick Info has somehow got hold of the piece of information that Glenn Maxwell wants to leave Victoria. Now, there's no way that cricket... Australia, Cricket New South Wales, or maybe they want this to get out, but certainly not Cricket Victoria would want this story in the public forum. I wonder how it sort of leaked out to Dan Brettig of Crick Info. I, yeah, right. Cricket Australia or Cricket Victoria might not want it in the public forum, but if you're a bloke trying to leave his employer, it's in your interest to get it out there, don't you think? Maybe, but as I said, if you're Glenn Maxwell, do you want to be have to face up to your teammates and your coach and you know your all supporters and just basically say, look, I was trying to jump ship it just doesn't make sense to me I man as i reckon it's you've put the cart before the horse there in that i think there's probably been a dust up or a disagreement or you know there's probably maybe a bit of a falling out over time i think something's stirred this of course he wants to advance his career but i think there might be a bit happening behind the scenes that we don't know about it's really interesting though because it's, i said i just don't know now that this is in the public sphere i think they almost have to let him go victoria just have to suck it up and say okay you can you can go well they're not going to they they've made their stand I think it's unfortunate because there have, there's been a history of players who have been reinvigorated by going to other states as well. Ryan Harris, the most recent example, with, with tremendous success when he well, moved. You've also got Usman Khawaja, don't you, mate? Yeah. Um, and Phil Hughes was, was having great um, success with South Australia as well. So I, I think it's a pity that he didn't get to go. But I, I, look, I think, I think it's not impossible for him to play successfully for Victoria. Do, do you think this should be a Cricket Australia decision? It should, like you said, it, it's for the greater good of the game and the, and the national side. It... it Shouldn't Cricket Australia work as the invisible mechanism of the market force here and give it an okay? I mean, I understand there are labour laws and things like that, but... Yeah, they should have. But uh, the other thing that's strange is that there's only a, an official, I think, a two-week period where you can officially change states. It sounds as though the done thing is that most of the time the state who you're leaving will allow you to leave. And in this particular instance, Victoria stood on principle and said no, which if I was their coach and their CEO, I'd probably do as well. But as you say, Maka, it would be good if Cricket Australia could have stepped in and made this happen. Yeah, I feel sorry for Maxi being caught in this, this, the middle of this, because he probably just wants to play cricket. And it's, it's unusual, though, for someone to move north. A lot of New South Wales players tend to go and play for the Victorian side. And I know Peter Neville came up north, and now Glenn Maxwell. But yeah, it's Don't not going to happen. The great Johan Bota. Who's he from? <laughs> <laughs> He's not Victorian, is he? Uh, <laughs> Mac nice. is still getting over that. I, mean, I think the situation here is that I think it's been... Maxwell hasn't played in terms of man management. I don't know if he's been handled that well. I mean, I know some players need a kiss and a cuddle and others need a bit of a kick up the backside. But it seems that Maxwell, all he seems to get is a kick up the backside. He gets dumped out of the side when other players might not. Do you think, I don't know that they're whoever's behind this man management. Lehman's obviously at the top of one of those trees, so is your mate Pat Howard. I, don't, I just think they need to give him a bit of kiss and a cuddle and tell him that he's wanted, how good he is, you know? Well, maybe Paul's going to do that when Max is staying there. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> but, yeah, no, look, I agree. As I said, I think Max has been hung out to dry on this one. Well, that was the read and react this week. Controversy in Australian state cricket with a notable player looking to defect. We'll keep a close eye on this one. I think there's plenty more to come in this story. Now, let's move on to the sledging quiz. 
uh, brought it back. We had a, a break last week because we had a special guest. But uh, before we get into the sledges this week, I thought I'd read out the leaderboard. So uh, down the bottom of the table, we've got Paul, the summer game, Dennett on one point, uh, tied with Bob, who got a real, he got a quick single to get off the mark. It was almost a gimme. So Bob's got one. Then we've got Lisa Stalaker on two points. She's only had one go. So pretty good effort. Patrick Avenal on three points. And then we've got a tie at the top. We've got James McSmith on four points, Gav Joshi on four points, and Drew Lilly on four points. Now, Drew's a pom, so he certainly can't let a pom win. <laughs> what, what about matches played? I've only played. I've only had one crack at it, Manners. So, well, furthermore, yeah. some sort of rating for the, the difficulty of each question. Um, <laughs> you should get the, um, the, uh, the Deloitte's or whoever does the, the, um, the, the world ratings to use their mathematical formulas to get something a bit more robust than that, Manners. <laughs> we'll, we'll get onto it. I'll get onto the ICC and see if I can borrow their <laughs> test ranking system and apply it to this table <laughs> and I'll get back to you in three years but let's let's get into the sledging quiz but I think there'll be a bit of friendly fire for Maxie down in Victoria do you think you'll get sledges at training from <laughs> in the nets from his own teammates <laughs> from Fiji and that yeah all right now Mac we've got our first sledge this week for you and it actually comes from a listener Ian Wheatley he's a, a new listener just got onto the show from his brother so well done to his brother for welcome his, aboard welcome aboard and this sledging question occurred during a shield game while Steve War was taking Taking his time over getting ready to face his first ball. And the player you have to name gets into him by saying, For Christ's sakes, it's not an effing test match. War's reply was, Of course it's not. You're here. Macca, who was Steve War talking to? Man, as I am au fait with this uh, very colourful sledge, and I believe that it wasn't actually Steve War, it was Correct. Mark War. I agree. That was at slip making the sledge, and I believe it was um, former South African skipper Jamie South Australian. Sorry, what South African South Australian Jamie Siddons was correct. It? Yes, correct. And yeah, yeah. uh, so I didn't fact check any questions. So you saying it was Mark Wall that said that yeah. one? Yeah. Why couldn't I get that question? What I knew. <laughs> well, I you need to... to embrace this sledging. You need to broaden. <laughs> All right, Paul. Question Your two knowledge. for you. This is the, I think this is a gimme. Who said this in the last Ashes series in Australia? Get ready for a broken F and R. No, Michael Clark. There we go. Oh, was, thank you. That's that a was nice a quick one. single. I know, but that's it's we that's not how it's how many. The whole sledging. Not how it's how many, mate. The whole no, but I'm saying the whole sledging stakes. It's not very subtle or <laughs> now. Question, Mac. Here we go. Well, here's a subtle one for you. <laughs> okay. Question three. During a test between Pakistan and Australia in 1991, a Pakistani player tried to sledge Merv Hughes. Merv, you're a big fat bus conductor. Only a few balls later, Merv dismissed the player and ran past him and shouted, Tickets, please! I'm sure that was... Who a, was the player that Merv sledged? I'm sure it was a great Javed, me and Dad. Well done. you two from two. <laughs> now, question four. This one for you, Paul. Who did Shane Warne say this to? You don't like being called the Shermanator, do you? Uh, Bell. Correct. His response was, I've been called worse. <laughs> now, Macca... Who said this to Robin Smith when he asked for a drink during the 1989 Ashes tour? What do you think this is? An effing tea party? No, you can't have an effing glass of water. You can't effing wait like the rest of us. Who said that to Robin Smith? God, there's probably half the team that could have said that to him. Oh, <laughs> uh, mate, I'm going to... Uh... I'm not 100% sure. I'm going to say it was Alan Border. Correct. Three from three today. Well done, Macca. Staying at the top of the sledging leaderboard. Now, final one for this week, Paul. A former Australian opening batsman was playing in a state cricket game against Australian teammate Shane Warne. 
Warren, not shying away from sledging a fellow teammate, decided to get under the player's skin by suggesting that his temper was like a time bomb. When he came out to bat, Warren and Berry began the sledging. Warren, tick, Berry, tock. Warren, tick, Berry, tock. This went on for several overs, and then the player got impatient and holed out to deep mid-wicket. As he trudged off, he glared at Warren and Berry, who said in unison, Kaboom! Who was the player dismissed, Paul? It was Michael Slater, and I know uh, half the listeners will disagree with me, but this shows why sledging should be outlawed. <laughs> Here we go. He's on no, his we wouldn't have this again. segment. <laughs> Can we dock him a point? Just for- <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's disqualified, isn't he? <laughs> well done on the sledging quiz. Now, if you want to get in touch with the Australian Cricket Podcast, we're on Gmail, auscricketpod, auscricketpod at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook as the Australian Cricket Podcast. You can tweet us at Oz Cricket Pod. If you want to uh, rate and review the show, please do show on whatever app you listen to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, Audio Boom. Share it with your friends. Tell all your cricket loving mates about the Australian Cricket Podcast. Right, this is the last ball of the over. Can he get the two here? If he gets two, he's got himself 100. And if England declare, they have about oh, just under half an hour at the Aussie openers. He can't do it. Two for 255. Yes, he's had enough. Atherton has had enough. He's given him plenty of time. He's done a lorry. Atherton has called him in and said, sorry about that. You've had plenty of time to get to 100. And uh, I I agree with him totally. I think that's exactly... He's given him plenty of time. And the crowd here are stunned by this. And Atherton uh, has called him off. And Hick looks a bit uh, flabbergasted as well. Welcome back to the Australian Cricket Podcast. That was Graham Hick being left 98 not out at the SCG when his skipper, Michael Atherton, declared on him. Now, here I've got Paul and Macker, and there's been some big appointments in Australian cricket this week. Let's start off with Graham Hick, who was appointed the batting coach for the Australian side. What do we think of his appointment at the top? I must say I'm underwhelmed, but... That's not to say he won't end up being a good coach because I've never met him. I don't know what he's like. I don't know how shrewd he is. I want a batting coach, someone who is in the Bob Simpson mould as really astute and really shrewd and who can pick up things. Like Bob Simpson was the one who told Steve Orr to give away the the hook shot, I think, which I think a lot of people didn't like, but it probably revolutionised his batting. Hick, in his early interviews, has talked about how you've got to show patience when we play in India. Now, that may just be just stuff for the media and he's just giving platitudes, but that level of sophistication is a notch or two down on what I think we need as as an Australian batting coach. And Hick is the opposite of what you, on the face of it, would want. He seemed to be an absurdly talented player who didn't make the most of what he um, had at test level. You want a player who didn't have much talent, who, through understanding of the game and working on the game, did make himself into a much better player than he was. I mean, you look at... Most of the really, really brilliant players often don't make great coaches because they're not sure how to articulate exactly what it was that they did. I wonder whether Hick will fall into that category. I hope not, but my my initial inkling is, as I said, I'm underwhelmed. I think you're right, Paul. I think if you go through the great coaches in any sport, it's rare that they're a great player as well. I, I can't really think of many. Well, Hick wasn't a great player. Yeah, I know, I know. But he had, like Paul said, he had that he had that incredible talent, and he just couldn't cut it at 
test level. It was almost like a Shane Watson type scenario, wasn't it? That it seemed like there was so much noise going on in his head. And the poor guy had to wait three years to play cricket. And, and those were probably the three years when he was at the top of his game. And there was a lot on his shoulders. But I just think, man, is that, you know, if you look at the Australian setup and if you're a young batsman coming through, or a young bowler, and you've got Dennis Lilly, you know, showing you the way. You're you're going to eat his words up, aren't you? He's, you're going to listen to what he's to say. He's, he's held in such reverence in the game. But Graham Hicker's like, well, okay, mate, you know, yeah, you can take it or leave it. I well, think. I just worry that it's that's a little bit of jingoism or a bit of uh, sort of xenophobia. I think it's. Co- I think international cricket coaching has moved past a sort of patriotic notion that you can only have coaches from your own setup or your own country in there. I mean, there's no doubt Hick would have would know a tremendous amount about the craft of batting. And, you know, whether he's a good coach, you know, from working with him. But I think bringing him in is, is not the worst appointment. I don't, I don't think it's an issue of his nationality. Um, I, don't, I don't think either of us are saying that. I think that whether he... Well, Mac is saying you won't respect him so much. Because... Well, what happened the last time we had a non-Australian as the Australian cricket coach? Well, that didn't work out no. so well. But if just because Mickey Arthur was bad, does that mean you'll never have another foreign coach? Well, look, personally, I couldn't care less where they come from. I just want them to do the job. And um, Hick, to give him the benefit of the doubt, maybe throughout the course of his career where he looks back and didn't get the most out of his talent, has um, become one of the great thinkers on batting and will be a wonderful coach. I, I would have been sceptical when Jason Gillespie first became a coach, he seemed to me someone like, wow, he doesn't look like he'd be a very good coach. He's proven to be a, um, a phenomenal coach. Maybe Hick is all of that. So I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. But just for the reasons stated above, it just seems like mm, um, he's not the first person I would have thought of. I mean, Mackie, he's replacing Michael Divenuto. So do you think people were like, oh, Michael Divenuto is my batting coach? I mean, Graham he yeah, yeah. has a better record than I, Divenuto. I, I'll concede level. that point, and I also agree with Paul. I'm prepared to give him a chance. I'm just interested in the process of how he was appointed, who else was perhaps in the mix. Well, you know? Greg Blewett was given a chance. He's, he's, so Greg Blewett is the fielding coach. And we'll go back to that role. And he stepped in as batting coach for a while there. And then we had Stuart Law come in as batting coach on the last tour of Sri Lanka. Poor guy. I mean, what a tour, what a tour to be batting coach. But again, I, I often think it doesn't, it, it shouldn't necessarily just be someone who was a fine, a, a, an international batsman. Surely there's someone who is... Gav um, could do it. Gav records he's a good coach. <laughs> someone who's a deep thinker on the game, who's analytically astute and who knows... There needs to be a level of shrewdness that I'm not sure that he's got. But as I said, um, it's all speculation. Maybe he does. Well, speaking of shrewd appointments, so David Saker's stepping in as assistant coach to Darren Lehman. And now Ryan Harris is going on the One Day International Tour of South Africa as the bowling coach. I like Ryan Harris going as the bowling coach. I know he's just retired and probably quite close to some of the players, but this particular group has a lot of young fast bowlers. And you have to think Ryan Harris is going to be able to influence them in a positive way. I'll tell you what, if he's over there and he's bowling in the nets and his knee's better... I'll just put him straight back in the side. <laughs> Man, as I think, you know, you got you made the point last week that Lehman's under a bit of pressure. He, you know, uh, Sri Lanka was obviously a failure. And I think perhaps the point you need to make here also is he, he needs that support staff behind him. He needs a solid team around him. And is he getting... Obviously, Ryan Harris is a fantastic appointment. Seiko, well, well he's got the track record, but is, is, is he part of that? You brought up Lehman, and it's interesting because I think Lehman's credibility really started to suffer in the last Ashes Tour when he, he, he put forward this policy of family first in the Australian side when he took over, who was all about put you know families and support each other, and then 
Haddon pulls out of a game because his daughter's sick, mm. and all of a sudden he gets dropped. So I think Lehman's credibility has obviously taken a big hammering, and maybe, I don't know if you can say family first, family first, and then drop someone when they pull out like I that. I think that's in defence of Lehman. I don't think there have been many more difficult decisions that an Australian coach has had to make because if Lehman had then said, right, um, no, we are going to bring um, Haddon back into the side, he would have been legitimately criticised by everyone else saying, come on, mate, this is Australia test cricket. Do you think so? Absolutely. People would have said, we have to pick our best side and demonstrably at this stage, Neville is a better person to pick than Haddon. And there would have been every bit of argument on the opposite side saying that um, he's running the game in an unprofessional way and that at the very top level, sport is brutal and sometimes you've got to be professional. I'm saying either way he went, he was going to get a lot of criticism. It's a decision I was very glad, uh, I'd be very glad never to have to make. But this is where the role of coach being a selector comes into question because if you're the coach, then players might feel reticent to come to you with their problems. And I think maybe Lehman's getting into that ground now. You know, if if a player's having a personal issue or whatever and they come to Lehman and say, look, I'm struggling with this or the travel or I miss my family, maybe Lehman's going to take that into the selection room. So maybe it's fracturing the dressing room. I think on that Haddon situation, I think, I guess if you look at it, who, who had the best preparation for that next test? Who was in the best place to play better and I can understand that you go for Neville but I still think you know and to Haddon's credit he never carried that as affecting his form he took it on the chin it was a horrible situation what was happening for his family but yeah I still find it it, I still find it yeah I still find it very difficult to swallow and the whole you know Watson dropping and that's I just those decisions are still hard to fathom aren't they well, Watson being dropped. Well, just the whole how it all happened. I don't think that's hard to fathom. Well, no, but they had no experience, and then they get that's rolled. That's what I'm on Lehman's side with. And they get rolled in in a, in a morning. It just you know they lost so much experience. That whole Ashes leaves a nasty. Yeah, we should we should forget about now, it. Now, staying in England, uh, Jason Gillespie has confirmed he will leave Yorkshire at the end of this season, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see him in the national setup pretty soon. What do you guys think? Every possibility, yeah. Uh, without ever having met these guys and really um, knowing how they operate, it's hard to, to judge. But his record at Yorkshire was fantastic. He seems to be extraordinarily well regarded. Um, the only thing against him was that the England selectors chose Trevor Bayliss over him, um, and they are—I think—they're pretty well, pretty switched on. Strauss and uh, was it Strauss who made the decision? Um, I think he's a pretty switched on guy. So um, maybe that's who we should be looking at. Poach Bayliss back to Australia. I'm, I'm thinking that Gillespie might have already got the nod and the wink for a role over here. Otherwise, why would he be leaving? Yeah, he might step into the bowling coach role mm. that Harris has got temporarily. I just think they're playing this game where Gillespie's still under contract in yeah. Yorkshire, so he can't come out and yeah. say what his future role is. You're not going to jump Australia. from one log into the river unless you've got another one to land on, Unless Bretty gets hold of the story and <laughs> runs with it on Quick Info. I think what we're missing at the, the national level is someone who is the kind of guy, a bit like Buchanan was, that... Maybe people's eyes roll over or, you know, he's a bit too cerebral, a bit too much on the... Well, yeah, we have video sessions and we start to fall asleep. But, geez, he does pick up some real gems. And we needed someone there when we won the toss and bowled uh, and, and batted on the uh, edge baston wicket. Uh, we needed someone to say to Clark, no, no, we are bowling today. Uh, that kind of um, highly intelligent decision. And I just wonder whether we've lined ourselves up with, with, with the calibre of people to do that. Saker seems to be a pretty good choice, yeah. though. Yeah, and Saker seems to be one that really has some forthright opinions and will push the the playing group and the coaching group. So that's the movement in the coaching of Australia. Now the Australian one-day squad heads off to South Africa this week, captained by Steve Smith. He returns. 
and there's been a few changes since the last show. Well, lucky for let's start with the players resting. Hazelwood and Stark weren't going, but Stark wouldn't have gone because he had an accident at training where he ran into something and it needed 30 stitches in his leg. Quite a severe gash for Stark. Um, so obviously he needs to rest. Good time for Hazelwood to rest. And in their place, you've got Tremaine, Many, and Daniel Worrell as three sort of uh, relatively uncapped Paceman coming into the side. What do we think? Well, what? A, how completely unprofessional Stark's injury. Obviously, it's not his fault. But what to have stray training equipment just lying around that a bloke can just about chop, cut his leg off? I mean, thirty stitches is a considerable amount. He's doing that the world's best fast bowler uh, as well. Exactly. It's just it's unfathomable. What, what sort of an OHS issue is that? I just I don't understand it. You could never imagine that happening in the really professional sports in the world, like in the NFL or the English Premier League. If something like that happened, it would be what is going on mm. um, here it's just oh yeah he's just hurt his leg yeah it shouldn't happen oh, and, and there, there are doubts whether he'll be fit for the beginning of the season well, now yeah, I mean, it's, 30 stitches as you say is you know that's a big a big wound and, and it could I mean it could have been worse if it got a tendon or a ligament it's I just I can't understand it and there was no there seems to be no one fired there's no inquiry mm. there's no um, it's just like oh yeah one of these things yeah, bad stuff. So he's staying at home. Many, Tremaine and Worrell are the three guys I mentioned before. Tremaine's from New South Wales. Big, tall, quick. He's someone to look out for on those South African wickets with the extra bounce. He could do some damage. But uh, Hastings, I think, from the, the crop, current crop, will be the leader of the fast bowlers on the tour of um, South Africa. Other notable omissions are Glenn Maxwell and Nathan Lyon, both left out of the uh, one-day side. There's not much love for Maxi around the country at the moment. Is there, Menace, for your man? No, not at all. Not, I, well, I mean, he wasn't... This side was selected before his performances in the T20, but I thought they would have maybe... Uh, with, now, Sean Marsh has injured his finger, so he's not going, and instead they've called up Usman Kawaja. I thought maybe Maxi might get the call up ahead of Kawaja. Surely he's in the best. 13, 14, 15 ODI players in Australia, Maxwell. Surely. Well, in my opinion, he's in the best one. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'm happy for him not to go on this tour because if this was the World Cup, he'd be there. But, but you'd think he should have gone ahead of Kawaja, shouldn't he? I do, but I, if this tour mattered, and it doesn't. Yeah, well, it does. And I, I think that Maxwell will be better served um, being back in Australia um, with all these friends in the Victorian, in the in Victorian setup. Um, Having tea at your place. <laughs> he needs to be playing cricket that really, really matters. And I don't think this tour was going to um, be something that would help him. So I, I think it's good that they've picked these three unknowns, um, many Tremaine and, and Worrell. They um, were amongst the leading wicket takers in the Sheffield Shield last season. Particularly the first two of those have pretty decent first class records. Um, uh, Worrell, not quite as good, but you might as well give these guys a go. If, if, if we're ha- getting a- anything out of this series... Playing Lion and others that we're sort of we know what we're going to get wasn't going to be much. You might as well try a few new guys and see what happens. It's just funny though that we have this huge list of big name fast bowlers, you know Cummins, Pattons, and all these blokes, and none of them are there. But Worrell's got that fantastic run up where he yeah. comes in curved and it's a big long, and after a few overs we talked he, in he the last show about how he drew a penis in the wicket and got suspended <laughs> from a. a I'm great more interested. Game. In, I'm more interested in his run up than his appendage menace. <laughs> well, I don't think he drew his own. Maybe he did. I don't know. <laughs> So that's the squad. As I said, Steve Smith returns to lead the side. David Warner will be his vice captain. One other thing on that, it does show how this whole, uh, there's a need for bilateral one-day cricket to have some form of meaning. That even if you were somehow going to be interested in this series, to, to, to look and see the Australian lineup and that 
Um, and you, you pick a thousand cricket tragics off the street and ask them if they can um, tell you anything about many Tremaine and Worrell, and you're going to you're going Laugh to the re- penis. you're going to really struggle. Um, it, it's not it's not a great look in that regard. Um, I know that sort of contradicts what I said in the past, but I agree with the selectors in picking them. But geez, you know, it's not great for the series. Now, stay going, Max. I, mean, I was going to say you might take issue with this, but I think, and then maybe it's been this way for a while. But cricket's become a lot like baseball in that there's so many ODIs that most of them you just have a passing interest. When they're in our summer, we're more interested or in against maybe England or India, you might get a bit more interested. There's so many games that you sort of, there's only a few that are at the pointy end of interest. And obviously, you know, when the World Cup comes around, it's of great interest, but the rest of them... I mean, this this one in particular. Yeah, this, just, is, this the, is the... Just before the season, you're not playing Test there. You're, just, you're playing Ireland and then South Africa. It just makes well, no it's, sense. It's about money, isn't it? And maybe they, South Africa have sort of pulled a bit of a favour because they're coming over here and oh, who knows? But it's, it's just for the money, of course, isn't it? And then when you get into those middle overs when it's sometimes six singles and over, and I remember I was at the World Cup, the, the, the game that Australia played against Sri Lanka at the SCG, and it was one of the first games in the World Cup that Australia played that actually really mattered because if Australia lost this game, there's every chance that our semi-final was going to be in New Zealand. And so it was a, a really important game. And suddenly... Especially when, for me because I had tickets to the <laughs> semi in Sydney. So. Yeah, well, so did I, yeah. And, so, and I was at the ground and I remember thinking... I haven't enjoyed a game of one-day cricket this much for as long as I can remember. But I didn't mind the, 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 the not that there was much of a single-a-thon, but every run mattered. I was on the edge of my seat and I thought, this is what it's what it used to be like. When you've when... got context and tension yeah. there, it adds something to but, it, but, it? But maybe, maybe, you know, you can't have the sweet without the sour. Maybe all those boring ones make the great ones better, you know what I mean? Very philosophical, Macca. <laughs> now, we've got a lovely email from our chief sponsor, Phil Rout. And he's asked a question whether the Australian test side is focusing too much on the tour of India at the end of this summer, but not actually focusing on the two sides that are coming out here, South Africa and Pakistan. Now, Phil has suggested that South Africa with Stain and the crop of fast bowlers he's, he's bringing are a real chance to win in Australia and Pakistan might struggle uh, touring. I'm actually going to go the other way, but let, what do you guys think? I think I think you're right. I think you know it, it's sort of all the focus is on on India. We haven't thought about what's happening this summer. I think we are kind of taking it for granted. If you look at Pakistan's record and South Africa's record in Australia over forever, it's not very good. So well, South, South Africa haven't lost here for about ten years. I think they've won the last two series here, so they come in pretty good form. But how they how have they been going on the level of the last? Well, no, mm. yeah. See, I think Pakistan the form side in test cricket but what do you think Paul? I think that it's been refreshing that we've shown much so much interest in this upcoming tour of India in February I don't think it's necessarily to the detriment of the Australian summer I think that once the Australian summer kicks in the the focus on that will be significant and I think that now that Pakistan are ranked number one in the world and that they got a two-all draw in in England I think that that will be really exciting because they've got some players who could transform their, translate their form to Australia, some of their fast bowlers in particular. And South Africa, they had a two-test series against New Zealand. One of them was pretty much rained off. But the, the second test, they absolutely thumped New Zealand and their fast bowling looked absolutely uh, right back to its very best. Stain looked like he'd come back well. And Rabada, um, geez, he could be a real handful on the, on the Australian wickets. So... I think you know it's um, it's an exciting time that we've got potentially is it nine test matches in a row? Uh, Ten, include, six, six here and four in India. We've got four in India. Have we? So we've got ten test matches in a row that shape as ten of the better test matches you could ever want to see. 
I agree. It's actually really exciting. I think to your point with South Africa, their bowling looks looks a lot stronger than their batting. One thing I noticed, they just haven't got the, the strength when De Villiers and Amla and Duplessis don't do well. The other guys aren't re- – I don't know if they can step up to the plate. And I think the batting for South Africa will struggle down under. But I think Pakistan could be the real surprise packet. They're not notoriously do well under in Australia, but bowling with the pink ball under lights. I mean, Amir was swinging the ball in England about three feet. So you can imagine what he's going to do with the pink ball at the Gabba under lights. And then you've got a real backbone in that batting order with uh, Eunice Khan and Mizbah al-Haq. I think those two could be um, – could be a difficult hey, they, You're right. They could really skittle us in Brisbane. And, you know, we've shown recently enough that we can crumble under pressure our batting lineup. So I think you're right, man. It's a prom- and Paul, promise to be a very exciting summer. And the third test match that they play at the SCG, Yassir Shah, who in um, the two games in England that, where the, the ball gave him some assistance, he suddenly became um, a very, very difficult proposition. I think he got to... Um, 91 or it was 100 wickets faster than or equally as quick as anyone in the history of the game and at the SCG he could be an, an absolutely uh, worn like proposition now we normally have a segment mad menace but now we've got a new one madman dennett and paul you're pretty upset about something uh with the, when it goes to overseas sides in their preparation you lead off with this one well this is something that australia is guilty of India is guilty of, and I think Sri Lanka are guilty of as well, that just the other day, the last couple of days, New Zealand has arrived in India for a, a three-test match series, and at least two of the wickets are expected to be epic turners. So you would think that New Zealand are going to really, really struggle, and that the, the least that they could do would be to have their one warm-up game that they've been given on a pitch that will be something similar to what they're going to encounter in the actual series. Instead, They've played the game on what is an absolute road against Mumbai, a, a side who I think are missing several of their best players who are in the, either the Indian setup or the Indian A setup. And it's just been a glorified batting exhibition from, um, from, from both sides. It's got no resemblance whatsoever to the pitch that India are going to play, that India are going to roll out for New Zealand in the first match. What's the point? What's the point of doing this to a side so that they're just going to arrive cold and get get hammered? It's not good for Test cricket. Australia is guilty of it. When India were out here, we um, we played them on a, an absolute uh, road in Glenelg that was totally un uh, atypical compared to what the rest of the series was going to be. England do it. Well, New Zealand got done by Australia when they were out here. That we played that game in Blacktown that had to be called off. Um, and Sri Lanka, I think. Did it to the extent that when Australia was over there recently, they played a side that was consisting of no one any good. The the the, the, the no not no, good preparation. No spin bowler that was any good. Same this Indian side that the the best spinner that's playing against New Zealand in this game has an average of thirty one. You've got to do better than that. I'm saying probably every country is guilty of it. And once again, the ICC should should show some leadership and say you've got to give them a, a touring game that's a bit more uh, re- realistic as to what they're going to expect. But you're asking the impossible there for the ICC to show some leadership, that's for sure. Oh, mate, I don't have a problem with it. I think, you know, you don't give a sucker an even break. They're the rivals. They're the, they're the opposition. That's Yeah, but you, it is taking that, away from the luster of cricket. I see where Paul's going. You, you take, for example, when Australia goes to England and they play the county sides. Now, they used to be exciting fixtures and the counties would put on a good show. It was seen as an honour to play against the touring Australians. Now, the way things have changed the county sides roll out their second 11 sides all the the top players are resting and australia plays in these 
poor, poor games and no preparation. And look, Australia's done it to other sides, so it's not like we're the only victim. But it, it looks bad for cricket. It takes away from the actual fixture itself, and then it takes away from the, the next test match where sides come in cold. But as you said, Macca, what can be done about there's it? Nothing because, can be done. Because there's no sort of law to... No govern selection at that sort of level. Make it. Bring it in. Well, I think the onus here is on the visiting team to get their preparation right, and whether that means having net sessions in Dubai or arranging your own matches, I think that the onus is now very much on the touring side, the visiting side, to you know to Ma- tweak their preparation. Or, and force the, the host's hand a bit more and say, look, well, we just- want decent sides to play or we won't come. Mm. That's a good point. Um, I mean, Australia certainly have the power to wield when they're going overseas. They could put pressure... Well, actually, it's interesting because on this upcoming tour where Australia's playing in India, I haven't checked in the last couple of days, but until when I last checked about a week ago, the actual dates of the test matches have not yet been locked in. And the window that exists starts as early as the final T20 of this Australian summer. So there's a there's a, an albeit faint possibility that Australia will have so little preparation for the tour of India that we'll actually have to have parallel sides playing. No, so this has happened before, actually. A year or two ago, Australia have done this, sent the test side ahead. And actually, this is well, why you brought it up. It's an interesting story that we never talked about on the podcast, but Cricket Australia came out with this huge publicity. Oh, we're moving international T20 cricket. We're playing a match in Geelong. And I kind of don't know where all the matches are, but they're not in the big centres like the SCG or the MCG. And they Simmons were promoting Stadium, it as, it? A, as a boost for regional cricket. But what it is actually is it's going to be a second 11 side. You're going to have players from the fringes coming in and playing in the T20 side while our test side with all its stars is already in India. There's no doubt there'll be two sides, one in India, one in here. And this T20 series at the end of the summer against Sri Lanka will be a bit of an add-on. It'll be your Sean Tates and your... <laughs> you know, well, who did we have? I mean, the last game we had... Um, who was keeping? Cameron Bancroft was keeping to, you know, to Cameron Boyce. And that was that, that was our best T20 side. Well, it's just... Sean Tate it's was just bowling. just fixturing gone mad, was captain? It? It's just total over-fixturing. It's total... That's just so you get right, silly. We're going to see a massive divide now, and that's just greedy. I mean, I don't ha- blame Cricket Australia for this. You know, they've got to get the side to India, I think, as soon as possible. But the, the, the interesting point is, it could actually be simultaneous. That theoretically, <laughs> the same day that Australia's T um, Twenty side is playing could be the start of the test match, not the warm-up games, but the actual test match. Because India said, here's the window. It could be as early as this, and Australia said, well, we really don't want it that early. And they said, well, it's probably not going to be, but. I think England once did this in the 1920s where they had a side touring New Zealand and touring the West Indies at the same time. But this would be quite un- unparalleled, really. Yeah, it'd be a huge a huge thing if they were playing on the same day. I almost want it to happen now. <laughs> like watching a car crash or something. <laughs> and just uh, while we're still on Madman Dennett, I just want, Matt, I want to chuck in a Mad Menners there. Uh, in this last tour of Sri Lanka, we saw slow overs and our teams not wanting to bowl extra overs. And it made me... Think you know? Should they introduce something like penalty runs for slow over rates in Test cricket? Because nothing else works. So if you were to say to us, "Look, if you don't bowl your overs today, the other side's going to get twenty runs or five runs and over," do you think that would make them hustle a bit between the overs? I think it's you could pick fifteen different things, and they would all work, or they all wouldn't work based on one thing, and that is whether they actually enforce them properly. If you wanted to enforce penalty runs properly, it would fix over rates instantly. If you wanted to enforce suspensions properly, it would fix over rates instantly. If you wanted to say um, there's a, a shot clock between overs that you've got 30 seconds and if the, if the bowler's not ready to bowl the ball, then it's a free hit, 
that would fix it instantly. You go on and on. But what they do is they bring in the rule and then they just find all these exceptions and excuses. At the moment, they say um, you get an allowance for a wicket of two minutes as if they didn't know that wickets were part of cricket. And it's like, oh, there's a wicket. What's, what's, what's happened here? There's a break in play. This bloke's walking off. We've got what's going out. on? <laughs> We've got to give them some... Yeah, it's um, not playing England in the 90s. Uh, what they need to do is say whatever it is. And if they settle upon 90 overs in a day, I think it should be then done at a session basis. And they should say 30 overs in a session is the minimum. So in other words, a session where there are 10 wickets, four DRS referrals, a bloke's broken his arm, and um, you know that's when you should just get 30 in. But when nothing goes wrong, you've got to be aiming to get 34 in. And it has to have a change in habits. You have to say, oh, we can't have this fielding conference now because we're just not going to get our overs in. And the penalty has to be sufficient to make them do that. And if it's, uh, as you say, um, free free runs, penalty runs, that would work. It's, oh, well, oh, should I change the field? No, we can't change the field now because we don't want to give five penalty runs away. Great. The spectators don't want to see blokes standing around discussing fielding positions. That'd be another thing you could make it. No changing in the field um, during the over unless the batsman is a left-handed and right-handed combination. How'd that be? I, I, I agree. <laughs> I, I, I think Paul's idea of the shot clock's got some merit. I think maybe just in 2020, and that would adds another element that the crowds are getting excited because they're running out of time. It's worked in other sports. But you've also got the, the other side of the coin, Paul, is batsmen who might like to take a bit of time. They're getting their gloves changed every five hours. I mean, they can... You know they can Having abuse. Drink every every. Over. Yeah, they can abuse that rule. And you, 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 how do you work out if those if you get pe- if the field if the fielding side gets penalised five runs and the batting side has contributed to that? Uh, you've got to sort of work out that conundrum. Yeah, but it's a very good point, but it, it is it is doable that mm. the umpires um, everyone just got to have a uh, a protocol that says okay. Um, the occasional batting change of equipment, okay. The occasional, the occasional conversation in the middle of the pitch, okay. But it's got to be trivial. And you can mandate the time between overs. You could say, you know, from the time the last ball is delivered to the time the first ball of the next over is delivered is this number of minutes or seconds. And then if the batsman wants to have a drink, well, you've got to do it. You've got to sprint in and you've got to be off and ready to face the ball. Otherwise, you know, the what was the game elect when you could just keep bowling yeah. as a kid if the guy wasn't there? <laughs> That'd be just awesome. have that. Like, the, the batsman's not quite there yet and the bowler's Continuous running. Continuous cricket. That's another, cricket. That's that's one, another, yeah. Add yeah. another that element. Be, yeah. Nothing will it was change. Amazing though, when you see a suspension hanging over a skipper's head, all of a sudden everything moves much faster. Well, man, as I was going to mention, Ricky Ponting's infamous in India, yeah, when he bowled the spinners. To I mean, you know, you were ten years ago. You were very upset at that, at that time. I remember he probably still irks you. But I mean, how do you reflect on that? If in terms of you know that a lot of people said that could have that did cost Australia the Test match and. Well, it's at least it was this. It was the system working. Had it been penalty runs, maybe there would be no criticism because it wouldn't have seemed as though it was a, a selfish act. The other thing that could be done, and I've said this jokingly on Twitter before, but would be to incentivise them to bowl more. If they said every over you bowl beyond thirty in a session, every player gets ten grand, they'd suddenly bowl one hundred and fifty <laughs> overs in the day, and that'd be the end of the problem. Well, Paul, you've certainly thrown up some radical solutions <laughs> to slow over rates. Well, listeners, thanks for downloading the Australian Cricket Podcast this week. I hope you enjoyed the show. There was a chance that I would be broadcasting from Long Bay this week because with the uh, the Yabba Studios that I'm calling it, I got out some memorabilia and uh, pulled out an Australian One Day International helmet that I was given. I was obviously never earned one. I got Tim May's One Day International jumper. 
which he gave me after he was dropped from the one-day side. We gave him a lift back to his hotel. He said, I won't be needing this anymore. Then he was recalled and sent to New Zealand. Oh, God, and was it was freezing in, <laughs> freezing in New Zealand. So, God, I don't have my jumper. So I've still got it. Um, but the, what caused the controversy was when I was a youngster, probably about 25 years ago, I bought a... And, and this sort of illustrates what a fan of Dean Jones I was because I'm New South Wales through and through. I bought a signed Victorian cap, one of those classic floppy Albion Victorian caps signed by Dean Jones. Looking at it right now, and I thought I'd put it on Twitter as I was setting up. I, I, I love had, you, Dino. I tagged Dino in at Professor Dino on Twitter <laughs> that, you know, he's a signed Victorian cap. Lo and behold, Dino thinks the cap has been stolen. So he he, quote, he doesn't actually he quotes the tweet. So I didn't actually know straight away. He quotes the tweet and said, "Hey, this has been stolen. Please message me straight away." Well, I did message him and say, "Look, I bought it, and you were actually there when I bought it." Um, but yeah, I thought I might be in Long Bay for this one. I, I don't know. Tim May dropped an absolute dolly of the catch of a catch yeah, mid on or mid off at the SCG. Remember that? Oh, I think it was, it's one of the back then. It was one of the worst drop catches you'd ever see. It was against Pakistan. He was uh, dropped. We gave him back to his lift to his hotel. But Dino was very upset when I told him it certainly wasn't stolen and uh, probably wasn't used. Uh, but yeah, but he calmed down then. One, he's, he's okay now. Oh yeah, he's okay now. I'm not on the run anymore. For now, so I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not on the run. <laughs> but the I'm thing I like on it, the podcast that it, it kind of, um, if you take that to its logical conclusion. Uh, the fact that it was a signed cap and that Dino was thinking it was stolen, does that mean, Dino, that you signed your caps that you didn't intend to give away? <laughs> or that he signed it for the thief? Hey, mate, can you just sign this for me, please? <laughs> Where'd you get that? Well, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed the Australian Cricket Podcast this week. The Australians jet off for the one-day international tour of South Africa. Macca, thanks for coming in. You're Great doing to well be here, sledging. mate. Paul, thanks for coming in. Thanks, Ben. I was just going to say, I hope that a few Irish people are going to go and watch the Australia versus Ireland game that's being played in South Africa. I hope there's a, going to be a large travelling support. <laughs> well, listeners, thanks for downloading the show, and we'll be back next week with another episode. What a marvellous stroke. He's played no better shot than that in the whole of the series. Sports Social Podcast Network.